Motor neurone disease, or MND, is a degenerative disease affecting around 5,000 people in the UK. It attacks people's ability to move, speak and breathe, and is usually fatal within about two years. At the moment, there is no cure, but scientists are trying to find out more about what causes MND and how we might one day treat it. And this week, a paper out in Nature Neuroscience describes a new model for MND, which has revealed some unexpected clues about how the disease might operate and may even one day lead to treatments. Chris Smith spoke to one of the authors, Jameen Sridharan, from Cambridge University's Babraham Institute and King's College London. Motor neuron disease is an incurable condition, and although we've been very good at actually finding genes that cause the disease over the past 10 years or so, we don't know how they cause disease. So what we decided to do was to try and make models of disease. Um, People have been doing this for some time now, but they've been doing it usually by making an assumption, which is that too much of a protein or too little of a protein is bad. But we don't know if that's the case or not. So we decided to make a, a model that more accurately reflects what's going on in the human patient. In a human patient who has motor neurone disease, what do they present with? How would they know they have the disease? How would a person observing them know they had the disease? It varies a lot from person to person. So because of MND is a disease that can affect such a a large part of the body, basically any part of the brain, the motor system in the brain or in the spinal cord. So it could affect the motor nerves that supply the legs or the arms or the hands or the tongue or swallowing. So it could affect any of those things. Speech, it can cause spasticity, which is stiffness in the legs or paralysis or breathing problems. And some patients get dementia as well. And this is caused by the loss of nerve cells that communicate messages from the nervous system into muscles. So for some reason, those cells are selectively vulnerable and we don't know why. Yeah, there's a circuit. So the nerves in the the brain, the upper motor neurons, uh, go down into the brainstem or into the spinal cord and from there into the periphery where they supply the muscles. So those circuits are affected specifically in motor neuron disease, although we're now understanding that there are other nerves that kind of connect between those nerves that are also important. So the model that you set out to make, when we say model, this is basically making something like a mouse, for example, develop something which recapitulates, we hope, what a human would suffer with. How have you gone about doing that and why should your approach be better than what's come before? Other approaches are very useful, but what we've done is to try and not make an assumption about what we think causes disease. We know that these mutations are linked to disease, but how they cause disease, we don't know. When you say mutations, what mutations are they? Yeah, so we've focused on a protein called TDP43. This is a protein that's central to almost everybody with motor neuron disease in that it accumulates in the brains of patients with MND and with frontotemporal dementia as well. Some patients, not a lot, but a handful of patients have mutations in a gene that encodes that protein. Just one small change in most cases. And we made that one small change in the mouse because the mouse has the same gene as the human. So you engineer into a mouse the same change that a handful, but a reasonable handful of people who have human motor neurone disease have. That means the mouse brain and tissues in the mouse also carry that change. Do the mice go on to develop changes a bit like a person with MND then? Yes, they do. But what we found was rather than getting a predominantly motor problem with paralysis, they get mostly a cognitive problem. So we've looked very closely with a scientist called Tim Bussey at Cambridge University, who's a psychologist, using some very sophisticated technology to find out what kind of cognitive problems they have. And what they have in the cognitive realm matches what we see in patients with, with a motor neuron disease that overlaps with frontotemporal dementia. How do you account for the difference then? Because a human 
takes five, six decades to get motor neurone disease. A mouse only lives for a couple of years if it's very, very lucky. Yet you're saying you've got mice which are already manifesting changes when they carry this human mutation. Is that just is that an artefact of the fact that it's gone into a mouse or, or is it that uh, something else is going on and the human brain is coping better yeah, with the I, mutation? I think it's partly the fact that we've got a mouse model. This is not a human. And the, the human brain is significantly bigger than a, than a mouse brain. I think one possibility is that the plasticity of the, of the human brain is able to compensate for abnormalities and therefore individuals don't actually seem to have cognitive problems. Some patients do actually have quite florid cognitive problems and they manifest with striking behavioural changes. In our mouse model, what we've also found is that some mice get sick and others don't, which is another interesting phenomenon. So as well as the differences between the mouse and the human brain perhaps explaining why we have a difference in the, the kind of observations we're making. I think the, the fact that the mouse doesn't live for 70 years also may explain why they don't actually seem to get motor neuron disease. If they did, then maybe they would. How would this then explain what you think is going on in a person who has motor neuron disease? They carry this mutation, yes. or if they don't carry that mutation and they're going to get motor neuron disease, something else makes something change in cells in the yeah. same way as that mutation might. Yeah. But how does that lead ultimately then to the loss of nerve cells and specifically the loss of the motor nerve cells? What do you think? Yeah, this is, um, this is a very important question. I mean, the, the protein that we're working on, TDP43, is present everywhere. It's in the skin, it's in the eyes, it's in the liver, kidneys, and it's also in the brain. The brain is unusual in that it doesn't divide. The cells don't divide. So I think one of the problems with uh, the brain is that it can't compensate over the course of time quite as well as other organs in the body for, for example, higher levels of the protein or the consequences of that higher level of protein. So the brain is particularly vulnerable. Motor neurons are perhaps particularly vulnerable because of their size and the fact that they form a very intricate network, but also through, uh, for reasons that we don't fully understand. Motor neurons have differences in gene expression compared to other neurons. Um, they have vulnerabilities that I don't think we fully understand yet. Do you think then that one possible model could be that there's a whole slew of nerve cells which are being affected in the brain when they have this mutation present or similar changes that produce similar biochemistry caused by some other genetic cause perhaps. But whatever the cause, you've got cells which are destined to become unstable or, or to die and that in some way feeds back on the behaviour of the motor neurons so that they then are, are rendered, say, electrically unstable or, or they're more likely to get too carried away and, and die because of, say, ex over-excitement because of the loss of another cell? Because we've all pinned this for years on it's a loss of motor neurons, yeah. but are they dying because other cells have died first? Absolutely. I mean, this is um, something that we've found in our mouse model. Um, so what we've found is that although the brain appears to look superficially normal uh, when we look at it with the special stains for the nerve cells, when we look at uh, what we call transcriptomic data, when we look at the genetic uh, expression data, we find subtle changes in... Um, a gene that's expressed in a specific interneuron. So these are neurons that are not motor neurons, but they link motor neurons to other neurons. Uh, and what they do is normally dampen down the activity of motor neurons. So what we think is that the loss of these neurons may be contributing to eventually an, um, the death of motor neurons. We don't see that in our mouse yet because they don't live long enough. But this, this lack of dampening activity could result in what we call excitotoxicity. If you can peg this on a protein then, does that mean that you may have a new druggable target for motor neurone disease? I think we do. 
well, what we have in our mouse is, is not a mouse that deliberately overexpresses the protein. What we found, our signal, a single most important finding from the study is that the protein has lost the ability to control itself. It uh, normally, through a homeostatic mechanism that isn't fully understood, it regulates its own expression. In this model, what we see is that it's slightly higher than normal, and it shouldn't be, for reasons that we're trying to understand. And if those mechanisms are conserved in human systems, and that's what we're looking at now using human stem cells, then we have a target to struggle. It's not going to be straightforward because this is a protein that can't be too high and can't be too low. So we need to find a way of tinkering with the mechanism that causes the protein to balance itself very intricately without uh, causing damage. That was Jameen Sridharan talking to Chris Smith, and that study was published in Nature Neuroscience.